G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Alex Cook is back with us, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex Cook, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Good to be with you. And listeners might note, uh, you've been battling a COVID bout. Uh, you're, feeling, <laughs> you're feeling a little bit uh, improved, Alex? Getting there, getting there. I'm... Uh, Hit me harder than I expected, but uh, you know you've got to fight on, fight the good fight. So okay. here we are. <laughs> and when you can do this from home, uh, we can do this from home, and uh, that makes all the difference Absolutely. too. And thanks so much for uh, making that sacrifice of being available to engage with listeners today. Hey, elections are uh, much more about much more than uh, than money, uh, but they are about money. Uh, they're about infrastructure and defence and vision and social cohesion, all of those things. Uh, but a major announcement. On the weekend, the coalition launch with a response for first home buyers and uh, dealing with superannuation. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the Liberal National Coalition policy on first home buyers and super? Yeah, well, I guess I probably should just describe it a bit first for listeners before I comment on it. Um, but in terms of <coughs> what the uh, Liberal Party have announced, is basically they've said to first home buyers that you'll be able to withdraw up to 40% of your superannuation balance uh, from your super fund up to a maximum of $50,000. So quite a big hit uh, that your super fund would take in order to be able to purchase your own home. Now, as you could imagine, for young people, that sounds very, very attractive. There are so many young people, and I you know, talk to people all the time who would love to get into the housing market. Um, in terms of when the policy is supposed to kick in, it'll be 1 July 2023, so next year. Um, but you must also have a separate 5% deposit. So you must have built up 5% already in your own in your own name, and then you can withdraw your super on top of that. There's a couple of other little, <coughs> little rules you should be aware of. So, for example, if you're married, and obviously many first-home buyers, it's one of the things you do off when you get married, um, you both have to be eligible. So if one of you already owns a property, then you wouldn't be eligible. Um, and you must live in it for the first 12 months. So you can't buy it as an investment property. So that's the basic sort of outline. And look, on face value, as I say, I think young people would be very drawn to it. Um, as far as public policy is concerned, I, I think it is absolutely a terrible policy. Um, and the, the reason for that is whilst we do have a massive housing affordability issue in Australia, um, and we've talked about it on, our, on this program for you know, the better part of the last two years, the reality is all this is going to do is keep house prices high. In fact, it may even give them a short-term spurt you know, they'll drive them up a little bit further. That money will all go into the hands of the sellers. Uh, it won't be of any benefit to the young person getting in. They'll just have, you know, taken a huge chunk out of their super fund. 
The other thing, though, is that when you think about your superannuation fund up until sort of age 35 years of age, you know, you haven't put that much in, but you're building a strong base for future compounding. And so what you're doing by ripping out 50 grand, you're really destroying the, the base of your super fund that you're going to use to get compound interest on in the future. So it's, it's I, I would argue, and I haven't done the numbers on it, that it it was probably set back a young person a good 10 to 15 years uh, in terms of saving for their retirement. That's what I, that'd be my guesstimate. Um, so I think it's terrible public policy. And it all comes down to, and both parties are the same on this, they talk about housing affordability because it's a key, you know, it's a, it's a massively sensitive issue. But the reality is all that we need in Australia is for house prices to go down. That's how you make housing affordable. And of course, no politician, particularly in either of the mainstream parties, are going to do anything to threaten that. And to be honest, it would be it would threaten the broader economy if that does happen. And that looks like it's going to happen anyway with interest rates rising. But nonetheless, the, the real issue is we need housing to be cheaper in Australia so people don't have to become economic slaves to uh, you know these ridiculous loans that people are taking out so um, yeah so it's you know it's announced just before <laughs> you know a week a week out from the election uh, so that makes that does tend to fuel one's cynicism um, but yeah I think it's terrible public policy if you are a politician though Alex uh, it's win-win <clears throat> isn't it because uh, you sound like you are making the provision for a first home buyer who feels very very marginalized can't get into the market a way that they can get into the market and using their own money. And I think there is a provision in there too for, in fact, paying back that uh, super uh, withdrawal uh, later time when you might sell the house. But the win-win, of course, for the politician uh, comes into the thought that, as you say, uh, it'll probably either bolster or even increase house prices as well. So uh, from whatever mm. position you stand from, if you were trying to get elected, having a first-home buyer's policy that uh, benefits first-home buyers and then is likely to benefit everyone who owns a house, uh, then that's, uh, you know, from their, po- their point of view, they wouldn't be able to not go into an election without that sort of policy, would they? Oh, I think you're right. And th- I think, I mean, they've, they've tapped into human nature. And let's let's be honest, if you're a young person, you value owning a home over your superannuation. Superannuation, I mean, I, when I was 25, you know, you're thinking at 65, you know, someone who's 65 is a dinosaur. You know, you just don't, you think that's so far away into the future, you don't realise how quickly it'll creep up. And so I think the general reality, and you can see this from the engagement statistics anyway with super, most young people just aren't that interested in their super. So any opportunity... To, to take it, and we saw this, you know, with COVID when people lost their jobs and they could take out $10,000, any opportunity like that to access people's super, they will take it. And uh, and so I think it's, 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 as I say, I think it's poor long-term policy, um, but the reality is it, I would certainly say I think it'll be a vote winner, whether it gets to the Liberal Party over the line, you know, time will tell, but certainly I think it is a vote winner, as you say. And, of course, uh, the Labor Party policy was to, in fact, be a, a joint ownership uh, policy. 
uh, up to 30 or 40% value in the home and then the government would own a part of your home. Uh, as I recall, we were saying that was not necessarily a good policy either. So there's a certain sense in which you've got both sides trying to appeal to first-home buyers, but there are big ramifications. Yeah, and I think that policy, you know, a lot of people would call that, you know, a fairly socialist-type policy. Um, at least with the Liberal Party's one, you know, you're accessing your own funds, so to speak. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, I think they're both bad policies. As I say, to me, the real issue ultimately that we have to deal with in Australia is, is a willingness to see house prices fall. And that, when that occurs, you know, that reckoning, if you like, uh, it won't be pleasant on the broader economy because what, what happens is when people buy homes, it has a positive flow-on effect to the rest of the economy in the sense that you buy a home, you go and buy a fridge, you go and buy furniture. So <clears throat> all these positive things occur in an economic sense when people buy real estate. And so the government and both sides of, uh, are exactly the same here. They want to keep the economy as strong as they can. And so they want these policies uh, that will ultimately keep everything propped up as much as they possibly can. Um, what we need, though, in this country, and it applies to lots of different areas, not just housing policy, is we need to get leaders that are willing to have a vision for the future and are willing to create policies that are sustainable, you know, things that are going to help us in the long run, even if that... <coughs> Even if that means a little bit of short-term pain. You know, short-term pain is not such a bad thing if it cleans up the economy and gets us all on a stronger footing going forward. And unfortunately, with a three-year election cycle like we currently have, uh, everything is so short-term in nature. And, and of course, you know, with a lot of these policies, you don't even know if they're going to get through the parliament anyway. So, yeah, I think um, we really need to pray for great leaders who care about Australia so much that they want to focus on policies that are for the long-term benefit of everybody. Because I don't see how this benefits young people in the long term at all. Anything to do with <coughs> pain uh, is not politically palatable so uh, you know this we've got, uh, got some sort of uh, rhyme happening there hey we've got to get elected <laughs> <laughs> hey the election is coming and we we know that uh, politics and uh, the way that a nation is governed is to do with budgets it's all about money this is our money segment alex cook uh, the thought that governments <laughs> are accountable for the way they're spending our money when it comes to an election any thoughts here on the accountability of governments when we've got an opportunity to cast our vote on saturday well look as you say we have an opportunity and i would say it's a responsibility you know as a as a christian it's very important that we take politics seriously. And I, I know a lot of people get sick of politics. You know, we hear about it on the news daily. You get sick of hearing them talk about the things and, and the, you know, all the short-term sound bites. And, of course, many of us, are, you know, feel we've been lied to. You know, all those kind of things. I get why people get sick of it. Um, however, the ramifications long-term uh, and the impact on our society and on our communities is very serious and therefore as Christians it's a very important duty that we have to fulfill uh, by getting out there and voting. You know there's a good book um, written by a guy called Oz Guinness called The Call and he talks about the different callings a Christian has and one of the first callings we have of course our primary calling is just to be you know our, our, be children of God and to honour him with everything we say, everything we think, everything we live and act. So that's our primary calling as a follower of Christ. But then what he talks about is secondary callings, okay? And that's things like, you know, we're called to our families, 
We're called to our churches, we're called to our vocations, and we're called to our communities. And this, of course, is where voting becomes very, very relevant because we want to make sure that policies that are going through our parliaments are friendly to families, friendly to churches in the sense of freedom of association, freedom of speech, uh, friendly to vocation in the sense we want people to be uh, employed, we want them to be able to get ahead, we want them to earn a decent wage, and of course that's the, you know, the economic reality. And of course we want to have communities uh, where people can flourish and of course where they can get help from each other. And so therefore <coughs> I think the big thing as a believer our responsibility is to really get to know the candidates within our electorate, because, you know, you're voting for a candidate within your particular electorate, um, and you want to know what it is that they believe. You want to know their values. Now, you can usually obviously get their policies off the um, government website. I would encourage you to go and visit your local member. Obviously, too late now for that kind of thing. Um, but I would encourage you to go along to town hall events and, and hear these speakers and actually be aware of what it is these people actually believe and what it is they plan on doing. Um, and of course, if they're already in Parliament, we want to hold them accountable. So we want to know how they voted on particular issues. I would say that the last two years for many Australians has been very traumatic. You know, people have lost jobs, people have um, had, a lot, you know, a considerable loss of their freedoms. Mm. And so you want to know how these people voted in these things, Alex, what's actually important to them. There so is, it does appear to me that there's almost like an unprecedented uh, engagement of certainly the feedback that I've had from listeners to this program and uh, from what's happening with our commentators and uh, organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby and Family Voice Australia. And, uh, of course, there are a number of uh, wonderful organisations that have become uh, very lobbyist-oriented and on Christian values basis. So things are happening pretty significantly. For listeners today, though, and we're talking money, uh, talking the economy I wonder if we might be able to get your thoughts on on what the differences between the major political parties are because somebody's going to be Prime Minister at the end of Saturday and it might either be Scott Morrison or it might be Anthony Albanese and listeners might be thinking, I wonder how we might, from a Christian and biblical base, uh, make some sort of a differentiation between the parties. How do you think the major parties differ economically? Mm. It's a great question, and I think the reality is they've actually become largely indistinguishable from each other, and I think that's the big change that's occurred over the last sort of 20 years. You know, historically, the Labor Party have been, you know, the party of unions, and that's still the case, uh, but seen it as the party of the worker, um, and then the Liberal Party is more seen as the party for business and so forth. Um, but when you look at their policies close up, really, they're behaviour and policies are largely the same. They're both big spending, they're both big government. There are no real meaningful reforms. You know, it's largely a continuation of the status quo. There are no plans to reduce Australia's massive debt that we've accumulated over the last, um, uh, you know, particularly over the last two years. When you look at tax reform, neither of them are going to the election with anything particularly major here. And that's actually a massive backflip for Labor, because if you remember the last election, Bill Shorten came in <coughs> with a range of policies such as ending negative gearing, taxing trusts, ending franking credits, all those things have been completely wiped off off the thing. So basically everyone's going for a sort of a safety as type approach, 
uh, with minimal real changes. And I think that's problematic because what's actually going on behind the scenes is the policies that you don't hear about. And this is why I think this is the need for Christians to get more involved. And as you said rightly, that is happening now. People are more engaged than they ever have been. Um, but for example, one of the big ones in the last week that's start slowly coming out is the World Health Organization is trying to get all these um, countries to sign up to a treaty for pandemics, which is basically handing over all of our um, sovereign, if you like, our sovereign rights to the World Health Organization for future pandemic responses. And <clears throat> there's no talk about this by the, the major parties. Now, how can that be? And of course, they may well sign up to this in a couple of weeks straight after the election. So there's these kind of things that I think are very problematic, and this is why I would encourage Christians to become more engaged, to follow people like the Australian Christian Lobby, where you actually at least get insights into the kinds of legislation that are going through our parliaments. You know, a lot of things went into parliaments over the last two years, like late-term abortion in Northern Territory, euthanasia, all these things that a lot of people didn't even know were going into the parliaments because there was, you know, they're under the COVID, the COVID cover, so to speak. So now is the time for us to be alert to what's really going on and to, uh, to take an active involvement in supporting parties that represent, as best possible, um, you know, human flourishing and Christian, a Christian way of thinking. Now, you're not going to get a perfect, there's no perfect solution when it comes to politics, but you can, we can certainly do a lot better than what we have been in the, in previous elections. And, and that's a real opportunity uh, for Christians. Let me just uh, point listeners to uh, resources that are available in some of these organisations that we've been talking about on 2020. Uh, the Australian Christian Lobby has uh, tremendous resources, acl.org.au. You can also visit Family Voice Australia, familyvoice.org.au. There's the Australian Christian Values Checklist. They've just updated it and uh, they've altered some of the ways that they're reporting on like a one-page spreadsheet of where the parties sit on the big issues that typically Christians are interested in. And so uh, just encourage listeners to uh, be informed about casting your vote on Saturday. Alex Cook, always appreciate your insights. Alex Cook is the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Uh, Interesting take there. Not much difference between the major parties economically. Alex, I always appreciate you. Let me just encourage listeners, wealthwithpurpose.com. Lots of free resources on the website. You can follow Alex on Facebook and Twitter. Alex Cook, just great getting your uh, insights. I know you're doing it tough with uh, COVID. I really appreciate you making that sacrifice, taking some time to speak with listeners today on 2020. My pleasure. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.